Support for the Game Podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the Game Podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 110 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian the Yule Ooze Gottlieb. What is that? Well pronounced. I, I always have a hard time saying Yule Ooze, and now I kind of regret choosing this because I'm going to have to say it a few times that it's very hard for me. It just sounds like you lose. Right, right. It's it's a pun, and uh, I, I think it's one of the more clever holiday cards. I'm still in the festive spirit, I guess, a little bit. We're recording this the day after Christmas. So I I still have some of that holiday cheer in me. And I wanted to shout out what I actually think is my favorite of the holiday promos. I someone asked this in the discord last week. And I said seasons beatings, but then I actually went through them and you will lose is the one I like the best. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. I don't like gifts given is is the cutest one to me. Very cute, very close to an existing card. Uh, I would put Gifts Given up there as it stands, but Yulu's does a lot of things I like. Like, it eats stuff. Uh, it actually encourages you as the player to eat things, which, you know, I'm completely on board for. And I'm an Ooze fan. There's been a lot of Oozes throughout the history of Magic that I've I've been quite fond of. So Yulu speaks to me. Specifically Necrotic Ooze. That's the biggest one, yeah. Word. Well, we have kind of a mixed bag episode. Uh since we are in the middle of the holidays and everything, Watsy decided to start showing us previews and now we're just foaming at the mouth and we want more, but it's going to be slow going here for a bit, I think. So we have that to talk about. We have this upcoming Grand Prix in Vancouver and I believe Prague is the other one for Ultimate Correct. Masters. Yep. And then uh, maybe a little 2018 year in review type of stuff because a lot of stuff happened this year. Yeah, this is kind of a big year in the history of Magic, I think. I think we're going to look back on 2018, maybe not as much fondness as we should, because there were some hurdles along the way. But I think we're going to look at it as a turning point. Like We're going to see that this is where things really fundamentally changed and some new things started happening, which I think long-term are going to be very beneficial for all of us Magic players. Yeah, here's hoping. I mean, things are not like set in stone or anything. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it does look good. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm putting on my optimist shoes. It's a better way to approach things. My uh, head games co-host, Jonathan Carter, always preaches optimism. That's one of his big approaches. And I'm, I'm taking his advice here and being optimistic that uh, this is the turning point and we'll have, we'll have this moment to look back on as the time everything just changed for magic. Things started moving to the future. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, you can look back at all the bad or medium stuff that happened and be like, oh, things things aren't that bad now. Right, right. Even even if we go to the start of this year. Yeah, if we go to the start of this year, I think we're in a markedly better place than we were at the start of this year. So, Oh, yeah. So start with some previews. Let's do it. Yeah, let's talk previews first. That's what everyone's really foaming at the mouth for, like you said. And the holidays caught us and just took them away from us. We we were getting all these gifts leading into the Christmas season. And then once we hit Christmas, they were taken away from us so cruelly. 
Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, right? Well, look, I I am a big proponent of people getting time off work to you know do their thing and be with their families. And granted, I think probably portions of this process could have been automated successfully, and then previews could have continued throughout that. But on the whole, I am never going to badmouth people getting to spend time with their families around the holidays. So I, I can wait a little bit longer. And there's a few cards to hold us over here, too. Some interesting right. stuff, too. I, I, I think there's some noteworthy prints that came out since we did our last cast. So, for example, one of the things that Wizards could have done was give us a preview card. Yeah, I, I thought we were starting to make headway on that. There was some talk of maybe us getting a preview card. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, Jerry. I, I think we might be on the blacklist for preview cards. People are like, oh, just ask. And so I did a little asking. and uh, Oh, yeah? We still, well, I mean, I was in contact with people from WotC briefly. And uh, they said, you know, we were on a list to get a preview card. Uh, I guess I don't. The list got very long, kind of like Santa's list. I don't know, but we we still don't have a preview card. We were we were on the naughty list this year. We might have made the naughty. <laughs> list. I think you specifically made the naughty list. Hey <laughs> and- hey, don't don't point fingers, man. <laughs> okay okay. Well, either way, our podcast ended up squarely on the naughty list. So still no official game preview card, but maybe one day. Who knows? This is a team effort. You can't put it all on me. Yeah, well, you know, I, I tried. I I did my part to try and get us one. Maybe next set. All right. Well, I appreciate the effort. We can start with Absorb. This is UU Dub Instant Counter Target Spell. You gain three life. This is a reprint from OG Invasion, which was uh, my the the first set that I played a tournament in. the The Invasion pre release was my first sanctioned tournament. That's what I was going to ask if you were around for the last time Absorb was here. So I guess the answer is yes, somewhat. Right? Maybe not fully vested at that point, but. No, I, so at that point, I had been playing Lunchroom Magic for about a year, and so this is early 2000s, right? And I did not get the internet until I was 19, I think. Mm-hmm. Did not have a computer in my house until I was 19, and a buddy of mine, Adam Gunderson, who got me into Magic, was all about like the dojo, Mind Ripper, Brain Burst, all this stuff, and he showed me these websites, and then I was hooked, and what I would do was... Instead of, you know, going to lunch or going home immediately after school or whatever, I would just go to the school library and read magic articles because they had a bunch of computer setups and stuff. And I would print off some stuff to read during class. So I was I was an excellent student, as you can imagine. (laughs) Uh, I was just I was just studying magic instead of actual classwork. So I was pretty well versed by the time the first tournament rolled around. Okay, and. Shortly thereafter, I started playing Constructed and I uh, was building up a collection and everything. And I I don't know. I just kind of gravitated towards these control decks. I don't really know why. I guess at the time, the control cards were so much stronger than everything else. And Absorb and Blue-White Control was definitely a deck. There were some decks that killed with Millstone. And sometimes those decks kind of splashed Nether Spirit. Either you get it into the graveyard from Factor Fiction or using accumulated knowledge to go up to eight cards and just discard it end of turn. Or uh, some of the decks actually played Foil too, which is in UMA. So there's there's a lot of nostalgia here, but I, I was on the undermine side of things. Yeah, so my experience with Absorb, basically the Invasion Era corresponds with Magic Online's launch. And I had kind of stepped away from the game, you know, keeping a kind of a sideways eye on what was happening while I was in high school. 
and not really playing all that much. But my full-fledged return, like deep into the tournament scene, reading all the articles, getting back up to speed, corresponds with the launch of Magic Online. And obviously, Absorb was a huge part of that format, the initial standard format that was present. The problem was that the cards from IPA were like 10x more expensive than everything else. So I often avoided them. And something in my mind is telling me that Absorb was like a 40 or 50 ticket card. I don't know if that's actually true. I couldn't say that authoritatively. I know Pernicious Deed was like a billion tickets and uh, Fact or Fiction at an Uncommon was 100% like 15 or 16 tickets at one point. Yeah. No, Fact or Fiction was like anywhere from 15 to 25. I remember uh, Yevamaya Coast was the other one that was just an exorbitant amount. Yeah, I remember that as well. So uh, I think probably I trended a little bit towards the budget side of things not being 100% back in. I remember I played a lot of mono black control and like red green aggro with meteor storm rings bells, but I don't remember playing a lot of absorb, but I remember playing against it. And as an aggressive player, this card was an absolute nightmare. It's hard to imagine how drastic the effect is until you've actually played against it. Like if you are the mono red deck and your three drop gets absorbed, it's backbreaking. It's a tremendous, tremendous swing in the game. And so I do think Absorb is going to be a very important card. I think people kind of fall in line with that. But I also want to give a case where I could see Absorb not being as impactful and actually maybe you know not being the three mana counterspell of choice. And that's in instances where standard is more about establishing basically the turning point. And when you hit the thir- the turning point, life totals cease to matter. So if it's all about getting your one Drake to stick or getting your Niv-Mizzet to stick and life totals are kind of inconsequential because the game just snowballs from that point, then Absorb doesn't matter all that much. You want something with more flexibility or you want something with the scry ability. And Absorb obviously has a prohibitive mana cost uh, at UU White. And I don't know if we've read this yet, but in case you haven't seen it, UU White, counter target spell, gain three life. Uh, very simple, elegant card. So so the fail state for Absorb is where we're dealing with a standard format where life totals just don't matter all that much for most of the game. And then they kind of turn on a dime and you're facing a 12-4 Crackling Drake or some other very, very dominant threat. Uh, and it's not about jockeying for life totals. But given the sets we're dealing with, um, you know, we have Rakdos, we have Gruul both coming to the forefront. I expect these to be good, aggressive attacking decks. Uh, more on that later as we get to some of the Gruul spoilers. But I think Absorb's definitely going to find a way into the format, make a difference, and probably get to Fairy to see more play, which is a little scary. Yeah. One one thing I will note that you're you're talking about like absorbing their three drop and it, you just feel so far behind, right? It's like the the board is probably clear. They're at a, a higher life total, which makes things even more difficult. But like the truly backbreaking thing was when they're at like five and they absorb mm. something. It's like, oh God, now I just have to work like so much harder to actually try and close the game. But you're right. Like there are a lot of things now where it's not about nickel and diming your opponent out necessarily. It's not like, oh, I'm going to die to a shock. So this absorb is super huge or whatever. Now it's like you got to fight off uh, like treasure maps and bane fires and experimental frenzies and just these absurdly powerful cards where the three life may not necessarily help you. And like crackling Drake's another instance where it's three life is just kind of a joke, you know, right. it doesn't even necessarily equate to like an extra attack step from your opponent, but there are definitely going to be situations where 
you have absorb and that three life gives you like an extra turn. And there, there are times where it just functions like a time walk effectively. It's like you get one extra draw step to try and come up with an answer for whatever your opponent's doing. And it is huge. Just incidental life gain tacked on to very playable cards tends to do weird things to a format too, where it's like, it just kind of like moves the needle for what is acceptable to be trying to do in a format where if there's a bunch of locks and on hierarchs and absorbs and stuff like that, then it's like, you can't really play like Gitu lava runner, you know, it's just right. not a thing that you can do anymore. So the, the, just the existence of absorb might move the format towards like this more mid range spectrum, just all on its own. And that then makes absorb worse and you're incentivized to play something like sinister sabotage. Let, let me give you a hypothetical. And obviously it's a difficult one given that, all of this always depends on context, but I still think it's interesting. If you were just straight blue-white, you have no mana concerns, this card is inherently castable, do you see a situation where Sinister Sabotage can still be correct in your main deck over Absorb? Like you'd be starting for Sabotage before you even touch the first Absorb? Or is that just asking for like a format that is almost impossible for it to exist? Because there always has to be some aggressive slant, like be it the red-white decks or, you know, whatever Rakdos looks like. You have to think there's going to be a matchup where that three life has to matter. And when it does, like you said, it's going to be often game-breaking. Right. I agree with you. I do think that it is very rare for there to be a scenario where you absolutely want four sabotages before you even touch the, the first absorb. And I do think that Absorb is going to kind of be the placeholder for the three mana counter spell. But even in, obviously everything's going to change, but in the recent iterations of Jeskai, the amount of three mana counter spells in those decks has gone lower and lower because not that the, the format is like all these mono red aggressive decks or whatever. It is just that mana efficiency is so key. And right. If you're already behind and then your turn three is like, well, I'm going to try and hold up this counterspell and hope something good happens when the way these Jeskai decks are built. And this is because of the context of the format. Like if you just pass the turn on turn three, they don't have a lot of good ways to spend their mana. So you can potentially just like get a little bit ahead of them that way and then start jamming on turn four when otherwise they could be casting like chemistry's insights and stuff like that. And Obviously, it's kind of weird now because the Jeskai decks are like basically racing to Niv-Mizzet dive down. So even just like giving them that turn is probably not a good idea for you. So like there's there's a lot of moving pieces in this format that makes it pretty interesting. But I don't know. I, th I think if you could just take Absorb and put it into the Jeskai control decks before Allegiance, you, you would probably just play Absorb instead of Sabotage straight up, especially since Treasure Map is typically seeing more play than search for Escanta. You're not really trying to like turbo a search or anything. Obviously scry is incredible, but so is gain three life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I think like the thing I get frustrated about when I see discussions around this card, it is, it's so polarized, right? Either absorb is broken or you should be playing center sabotage and not absorb. And there's all this middle ground that seemingly gets ignored in the the discourse and it's frustrating because there are nuances and fail states for absorb and you know there's also splits that you have to consider and so much context like we talked about so i think my leaving point on absorb is absurdly powerful card there are conceivable situations where 
it doesn't fundamentally change the format. Like the format's just about something else. But I think like you said, it's going to do a good job of pushing the format in a certain direction, especially in like week one. You know, if there is a camp that feels Absorb is just broken and the base blue-white control deck starts at four Absorb, showing up with your all one-drop red deck is going to be problematic. And you have to wait for adaptation to take place. So it does a nice job of setting the starting point of the format, but it doesn't have to be the end point of the format. There's a lot of room for adaptation post that point. Yeah, my thought on this is basically Absorb is playable. Sinister Sabotage is playable. It is cool that we have multiple options for this sort of effect. And now that we have Hollowed Found, I don't think the mana is really an issue, but like Ionize was seeing play over Sinister Sabotage, even though the chip damage wasn't really worth it just because it was easier to cast for these decks. Correct. So we have basically three good options, and that's not even counting playing more Essence Scatters, Negates, or Syncopates, you know? Or, or a new counterspell, which could still be lurking something else. Uh, right. Yeah, we, we just don't know what, what is lurking out there right now, so have to wait and see, I guess. You got options, they're all playable, and that's a good place to be, the end. Sure, sure. Next card is a Mythic Rare. Ooh, this is Emergency Powers, which sounds like two random words put together. (laughs) And it is 5UW Instant. Each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards, exile this. Addendum, this is the Azorius mechanic, if you cast the spell during your main phase, you may put a permanent card with CMC seven or less from your hand onto the battlefield. So addendum is like on these instants where if you play them as sorceries, you get a little bit of a bonus. So, I mean, I mean, in this case, it's a big bonus, right? But uh, this card seems kind of weak. But I think most of the time, these cards are just going to be cast at sorcery speed because the bonuses seem pretty good so far. Yeah, the bonuses are where it's at. A very interesting mechanic for a guild that I think we're all looking at as enabling our Teferi-based control decks. Flexibility is good in control. You like having many options. I think it's fun from a gameplay perspective to have many options. The sweet spot is going to be getting them balanced properly so you actually want to pursue the instant side of things. As you said, with emergency powers, like... Obviously, we think about things from a competitive standpoint. I'm sure this card has all other kinds of context over on the casual, competitive, EDH-ish side of things. But for our purposes, thinking about where this card could see some play, I think it's just about the addendum. Like the, The best thing you could be doing at seven mana, reliably finding it and putting it into play can be worth a lot in a lot of situations. It depends what that thing is. But I don't see anything in present standard that has me super excited to be using emergency powers to put it in. Certainly in some past standards, you can make arguments for a lot of cards, but as it stands right now, not super excited about emergency powers, but a cool first look at the addendum mechanic for sure. Yeah, I I think there is tension on this because playing a time twister and then saying go is never a good feeling. Yeah. So you actually have the ability to end of turn do this and then untap with counter spells or player to fairy or whatever. And then if there is some awesome permanent that's CMC seven or less, then I could see building towards that too. I mean, there's like thousand year storm, I guess you could also do gilded Lotus omniscient stuff. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody is going to very much enjoy this card. The, 
quasi-competitive brewers of the world who love this type of effect. Uh, it's a great payoff for them. I think the, the question is what that cost seven is coming into play. And like you said, Thousand Year Storm is like an okay option. I think we're going to need more than that, though, for this to break into the competitive scene. Oh, yeah. Next Azorius card is Sphinx's Insight. Two UW instant draw two cards. Addendum, if you cast a spell during your main phase, you gain two life. So if you sorcery speed this, you don't have anything else going on. Draw two, gain two. This kind of works pretty well with Absorb to just give you a whole bunch of life gain so that you're not dying to Banefires, which is cool. And this is an instant. So if you want to hold open counterspell mana, you can cash this in if you want to. Like, say, if it's a matchup where the life gain isn't super relevant, then cool. Mostly worse than Chemist's Insight, though. Yeah, that's where I am too. This feels like more of a neat limited card. But again, flexibility is a big deal. And like you said, you know, we we came from a format going back to the early part of 2018 that was dominated by mono red. And I think we would have, you know, given a lot to have access to these more flexible card drawing spells. Like there's definitely a point in time where Blue White would have happily played Sphinx's Insight over uh, I mean, what were we using? Back Glimmer. Then? We had we had Glimmer. Yeah. So a hundred percent, this would have been better than Glimmer at a point. So I like that those cards are being kept in check a little bit more aggressively. Again, it feels like we're just getting more options now. We have more answers, more things we can be doing when faced with problematic strategies. And I like that ability to put in adaptation to my decks, to have my decks evolve over time. You know, there's going to be a week maybe where Sphinx's Insight is the right call, and there'll be a week where Chemistry's Insight is the right call. And I really like that tension and decision-making. It's rewarding people who are super plugged into the format, who know other options, and do a good job reading the metagame. So that's cool to see. Yeah, and there will also be a lot of weeks where you just want to play like a 2-1 split, and that's cool too. Yep, yep, absolutely. So one of the things I like about uh, Shadowverse specifically is that they have a lot of playable cards within each class so that mm-hmm. even like the best version of the best deck can still change like 10 cards. And I think magic is kind of moving in that direction too, where you are just getting more options instead of like, well, here's your three mana counter spell. You're just going to play four of this and then that's it, right? Now you have like a bunch of different options. You actually get to like, customize your deck however you want and figure out potentially new innovative ways to handle problems that you used to have and everything. And I think that's really sweet. Yeah. Spot on assessment. And that's, I just keep coming back to that point when I keep looking at these new cards and we talked about a a little bit last week in the context of like being conscientious of designing for a best of one world. Well, whether that's the case or not, that's, you know, just blatant speculation in our point our part. Either way, it still leads us to having all these decisions in the best of three world as well and, and having all these tools. So I, I don't care how we're getting there. I am very excited that we have these kind of options now. Yeah, me too. I One of the things that I always push for was just having more playable cards in general, because mm-hmm. I think the more options you have, the more likely it is that a format, specifically a small one like standard, will just create more natural churn on its own, if you give players more options and more tools to be able to solve problems, like I'm looking at uh, Bedevil and Mortify and just cards right. like that too, where it's like having having answers to things is just good. Can you give me a counter argument to that stance? Like, if how do you worry about being rebuffed if you're presenting that uh, as, as your design philosophy? Well, I know I'm right because I said it. 
I don't think it's that easy in most cases, but if that's your stance you want to take, you can go for it. No, I, I think the argument against is choice paralysis, potentially, okay. where if there are seven different variants of cancel, how do you decide which one to put in your deck? Like, to some degree, it is nice to help a player along where it's like, yo, this is the card that you kind of want to acquire and absorb as the highest rarity one. Therefore, we should make it the best one so that you go out and buy booster packs, right? Like, from a, a business standpoint, I get that aspect of it. And with things like Bedevil, Mortify, having counter spells in general, it sucks to have like an attachment to a certain card. Say you're you're the experimental frenzy person and you just really love experimental frenzy because it creates like these wild game states and you like each game is going to play out differently, blah, blah, blah. And then you just play this thing and every one of your opponents just has like main deck enchantment removal. And it's like, well, that's kind of weird. This card is supposed to be safe. Like, you know, people want their cards to like live and actually do their thing. So if you just have a game where everything dies, then it's just all about card advantage. And I think Wizards has been pretty good about either putting like sneaky forms of card advantage onto things or just doing the heavy handed stuff like Carnage Tyrant. Right, right. The kind of Baneslayer Angel approach where you make the stats so good, they're almost undeniable. Yeah. And just, you know, make them unkillable, right? Like that's that's the next step. Right. Yeah, I I think there's like the decision paralysis stuff is is hard for me to buy as a valid excuse just because I think that's so much of what magic is about. And granted, it's overwhelming for a new player, but part of the new player experience is not having access to a lot of cards. So you're not even making that decision right away because you just like don't have access to them. And and back when I started playing, I didn't even know they existed in some instances. So there was that. Obviously, that's out the window now. Um, But also where all of your decisions are like, fine, you take away some of that. Like the difference between playing Absorb and Sinister Sabotage in a certain week, it might not even be perceived by a beginning player. Like they might not even know exactly what they're missing and have the tools yet to be able to say, okay, if I had Absorb here, I would have fared much better. They're just not thinking about the game on that level. So I, I don't know if I would embrace that as a valid reason. Uh, some of the the business stuff, I tend not to just think about things like that. I give myself a pass and just go, ah, we'll worry about that later as long as the game's good. But you're spot on. That's a valid point for having a little bit more on Rails design. But like you said, you're ultimately in favor of the other approach. Approach. I kind of made you play devil's advocate there. Uh, and I am too. I, I love these diverse range of answers and I have enjoyed building decks with them. Yeah, not not even just building decks, but like metagaming week to week, you know? I, sure. I think that's cool. I think it helps keep things fresh. And sometimes there are some some issues where it's like, you know, maybe Golgari doesn't have a clear weakness or is it doesn't really have a clear weakness and that kind of sucks. But then by the time that gets figured out, like, oh, here's a new set. Here are five more Shocklands. We have 15 new color combinations that you can realistically explore and some new toys. So sure. I, I think that's cool. I, I do think that having a diverser suite of playable cards does lead to better formats in general. Because before it was trying to get the power level relatively flat was difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, so then there would be like a thing like Siege Rhino or whatever that just stuck out as clearly like this is one of the most powerful things you could be doing. But now if there are more cards, more options, like it's more likely that you find ways to actually answer or counter or check that card 
rather than it just being like, oh, we made a mistake and it's just there. Like, <laughs> are we going to ban Siege Rhino? No, it's just going to exist for the entirety of its life. Yeah, yeah, good point. So more cards. Keep things moving. Give us more things to talk about. Not that we really need the help in that department. Right. We never shut up anyway. So yeah, <laughs> not going to be a problem. On to some, some gruel shenanigans. Yeah, we got our mechanic here, and uh, turns out Cedric Phillips was wrong, and we'll be playing a little Turbo Fog in this upcoming standard season. Can't wait. Can't wait to see that. So if if this takes place at Mox, you just have to record it, right? And I don't know. I just want to catch like his misery on camera for everyone. Yeah, I, I may record it, but only his face. Like nothing else. Just a hard oh, yeah. zoom on his face the entire time. And like the sheer frustration. Because I'm hoping there's a way I can give him even less win conditions in his deck. Like, is there a way to just skip to fairy maybe and make him win with like <laughs> looping sapperling migrations or something ridiculous? There has to be some way to make it even more painful for him and just ensure he has to play like a 75 turn game game that would just make me swell with pride i love it (laughs) i can't wait make sure to plan this well in advance so i can be sure that i'm home that weekend oh yeah we we will make sure it is a event and the entire seattle community can come enjoy cedric's misery as he suffers through a few rounds of turbo fog hell yeah all right gruel gruel spellbreaker one rg three three Creature Ogre Warrior Riot. This creature enters the battlefield with your choice of a plus one, plus one counter or haste. Gruel Spellbreaker also has Trample. And as long as it's your turn, you and Gruel Spellbreaker have Hexproof. So settle the wreckage. No thank you. Get on. Yep. And also, if you want to become immense this thing or put pants on it, it's all good. You're safe. This is a fun little red-green design. It fi- it feels very flavorful to me. I like Riot a lot as a mechanic. I like that kind of choice. Uh, it reminds me of Unleash a little bit, but... Both upside. Yeah, a, a little bit more fun, really. Like there's, It just feels more red-green to me uh, than any of those mechanics did. And this card is a powerhouse without question. The body's significant this ability to shut off settle the wreckage and andrew brown over on twitter former game alumnus now with wizards of the coast mentioned that there was an effort to design specifically around settle the wreckage and he feels that's something new they're doing over in uh the play design realm so that's neat i i like that this is targeting the best mass removal spell in the format and just shutting it off and letting red green get their beats on again it's part of that shuffle because maybe there's a better three drop to be playing in a world where Settle isn't seeing a lot of play. Maybe it's supposed to be Goblin Chain Whirler again because there's a bunch of X1s all over the place and there's only room for one in your your red-green deck. Who knows? We don't know exactly where things are going to go. But it, again, it just feels like more of the same. More choices, more adaptability, more answers. And at the same time, it's answering a very problematic card for red-green strategies, but it's also just beating down. It's doing the red-green thing. Uh, and I, I really like this card. I'm excited to see what else is going to support gruel spellbreaker yeah i especially like that this card specifically whether you get the counter or haste both of them feel good oh yeah unleash was like ooh, you know if i don't unleash it it sucks because i'm not making use of this mechanic and if i do unleash it like is that going to punish me somewhere down the line you know it it didn't really feel great but i think that people are going to have a lot of fun rioting even though riot sounds like a rakdos mechanic 
A little bit. I could buy that. And there is like Rakdos Lord of Riots, right? Is that yeah. actually his his subname? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, a little off there, but I also think it fits flavorfully for what's going on, even if it calls back to some past Rakdos cards. Yeah. Do you see yourself picking up spells like this in New Standard? Could you be happy on this side of the equation, doing the beatdown thing, shutting off the Settle the Wreckages of the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm completely fine with that. I mean, so far, I think the Rakdos stuff has me more excited. Uh, Afterlife seems cool if there's a good sort of white weenie deck with staying power. Uh, I'm not super interested in classic Azorius control because I'd much rather be doing Niv-Mizzet stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Simic, I still have no idea what the hell's going on. But I mean, if there's stuff like Gruel Spellbreaker, creatures that are reasonable in combat and also have a very good effect, like that's kind of up my alley, really. Yeah. One more cool thing about the design of this card. I love that it both simultaneously inspires you to play Settle the Wreckage and pushes you not to because the existence of Riot and a bunch of creatures which are going to have haste very much incentivizes you to have your mass removal be at instant speed and be ready to go right away. And this card is simultaneously saying, yeah, we know what you're trying to do. It's not going to happen against this beatdown cadre of uh, aggressive warriors. So it'll be interesting to see where this falls. Such an exciting card from a beatdown perspective. And that's not the type of card I usually get excited about. Like I, I like being able to shut down my opponent's options while still presenting an efficient clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. They're going to hold open settle. You're going to play Spellbreaker, give it haste attack with like three things. And then they're going to have to cast their Sphinx's insight at instant speed or whatever. And just... <laughs> yeah. It's snowballs. Snowballs hard. <laughs> it's, it's going to be bad for them, but it makes me happy. Uh, next yeah. card is, Frenzied Arynx? Arynx? I would go Arynx, but that's based on almost nothing. Okay. Uh, this is a Cat Beast. 2RG33. Riot Trample. And you can pay 4RG to give this plus 3 plus 0 until end of turn. So 4 mana 4-4 four, four, uh, Trample with a pump ability, which works well with the Trample. Or a 3-3 a three, three Haste Trample. So like pretty good limited card, but hopefully we get better and Constructed. Yeah, it definitely feels firmly like a limited card, but a good one. Like you said, uh, upside on your early beater is always nice to have. So don't expect us to see the constructed tables, but good enough for limited. And that that's it for Gruel, unfortunately. Uh, Domri's coming, I swear. We better get a Domri card. Uh, I think it's spoiled via art, right? Like, wasn't oh, Domri okay. just... I, I don't know if that's 100%. I do know that... Dovin Bon is spoiled via art. I mean, I think this is him over here in emergency powers doing all kinds of weird stuff. So I think we know that Planeswalker's coming. I think the other one I heard was Domri. And Kaya. Uh, Kaya, correct. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're expecting. We'll see what next week brings and if we get a look at any of those Planeswalkers. All right. Now, time to turn my monitor sideways for this Simic card. Right. This is Incubation Incongruity. Uh, the first half is a sorcery that is hybrid Simic mana, so you can pay either G or U. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order, so a little commune with nature action, which is kind of sweet. And then mm-hmm. the backside incongruity is 1GU instant exile target creature, that creature's controller creates a 3-3 green frog lizard creature token. So we got our Pongify that we talked about last week. 
We did, and a lot of people messaged me about this and, and were like, Pongify is here. You guys you guys called it. You must be excited. Pongify is good because it costs one mana. I know. But <laughs> so, listen, listen, the, the front so you don't ever want to flood on Pongifies, right? You don't. You do not. So the front side gets you a creature, which is nice, helps smooth out your curve and everything. And right. uh, yeah, just fill any gap of like excess mana. So this card is never dead because if you're playing, it's like some creatureless control deck or whatever. Cool. Whatever. You have this commune with nature. Not bad. And then if they ever play like a Niv Mizzet or something, you can just have an incongruity for it. I, I, it's really good against decks that have very few creatures, I think, or very few creatures that you care about. For sure. For sure. Something like Merfolk, where you're mostly focused on building a big board and ignoring a lot of their stuff, and then you know you incongruity either five seven wild growth walker or whatever. Then I think that's cool. But this card is not as good as Pongify. It is cute that this card could have literally done anything. It could have been any sort of removal spell. It just happened to be like a Pongify callback, right? So we sort of called it. Uh, this is this is not the same thing as Pongify, but I think it does kind of the trick in just a sort of weird different way. I agree. I, I think this card is excellent. I think this is a, a very, very good card. I just wanted to point out that this is not Pongify. And, you know, there's a lot of differences in the applications. Regardless, this is a cool spell. Uh, Commune with Nature is like, it sees very, very limited modern play, but it does. It's strong enough too in certain decks. Uh, incubation is like a strictly better version that can be cast with two colors. Uh, so you want to look for some kind of combo potential. And like you said, if there is a Merfolk deck, they mostly don't care about opposing creatures because their job is to just get bigger and generate more board presence than they possibly can until they care a lot. There's something like Lyra on the other side of the table or Niv-Mizzet, you know, some very, very meaningful card. And then you have to have the answer. This card is playing both aspects of their game. It's finding their best creature, their Kamina or maybe the new... Zagana, it's finding whatever they need in that instance, or maybe just filling out the curve, right? Maybe it finds you your silver silver gill adept, and you're just able to climb right up the curve. So a lot of flexibility here on the front side, and the back side is kind of like, in case of emergency, break incongruity and, and go right. down and get rid of their very problematic creature. So I think this is a good spell for these decks to get access to, 100%. Need a little bit more context to fill in what we're finding with incubation, but this might pay some dividends in these kind of, and even something like mono blue. Like we talk a, a lot about how Tempest Dijin is so much better than everything else. You could see possibly playing incubation and finding more of your meaningful creatures more often and still having, again, this emergency removal spell that you're able to use for the Lyra's, which just shut that, shut down that deck so, so hard. Yeah. You just free roll for breeding pools and that still works with Tempest Gin, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. No, no hinterland harbor action or anything, but yeah, right. I, I think that's pretty cool. And then you get you get those and ops potentially. You can get rid of the clunky charter courses and maybe do something like that. And I imagine that there will be something Simic or Azorius related that's like a cheap, good blue creature. Got to think so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, otherwise, I don't really know what Simic's doing here. So there's there's got to be something that they get paid on. This is the guild that I need to have more context about more than anything else. I just want to know yeah. very badly what's going on here. And I don't feel like I quite have the picture yet, but this spell has me excited. This is a good one to add to the the uh, spell book here. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I think this card fills a lot of different gaps. Yep. 
So that's that's it. That's all we got for previews. Where where do you want to start talking about 2018, man? There's a lot to cover. Uh, I mean, like I said, so much has happened this year. I guess we start with kind of like the rocky start to the year, right? Standard was not very good for the first half of this entire year. And, uh, you know, kind of a solved format, maybe a two-deck format at best. And people were unhappy. People were flocking away from Standard in droves. Which, honestly, probably did good things for Modern. I think so. Yeah, you can make that correlation. A lot of a lot of my friends who work in game stores, who own game stores, were telling me that it was almost like a one-to-one shift. It wasn't necessarily that they were losing players. They were just moving to modern, which is a really nice sign for magic. You can mess things up a little bit and still just get your players into another format instead. Uh, nice safety valve to have. Yeah, so modern had a, a sort of explosion. I think that's kind of like died down a little bit, or at least as... GP attendance would show you we're we're not really hitting like you know three and four thousand person GPs anymore, but that could be an indication of something else. It does seem that like modern is still just very alive, very healthy, and maybe Ixalan and Kaladesh being kind of crappy could have had something to do with that. It certainly could have. I, I think that's reasonable. So then all these cards get banned for the millionth season in a row, and the sky is falling. Everything's awful. And then the work that play design did finally comes to fruition. We see things like Dominaria and Guilds of Ravnica. And I don't know about you, man, but like, it's just a relief. It's like, oh yeah, the game that I like is still good. And this is what it feels like. I felt previously like I was playing magic for work. Like, uh, and that's not to say I didn't fully enjoy my work because regardless of the state magic's in, I still enjoy talking about it. I still like exploring what's possible, but actual gameplay of magic was not my favorite thing for a long time. It felt like something I had to do. And when that cloud started lifting with Dominaria, it, like you said, such a relief. It, it felt like I was back into my element, back doing the thing I loved. I was playing games just for fun. I, you know, with the release of both Dominaria and Guilds, I basically just played nonstop. I thought both formats were super compelling, both on the limited side uh, and on the standard side. So yeah, just a complete 180 from where we were at the release of those sets. Yeah, and between those two sets and you know granted there was a core set in between there and i'm still not really sure how i feel about that but between those and uh arena launching and you get to play sets like dominaria and guilds on arena in this like fast easy to play game mode like magic is is good like you have so many different ways to play great games of magic and just like explore or explore these various formats and everything. And I don't know. I, I, I basically don't know how people could not be enjoying it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh feels like a golden age. And I, I really, really hope that this next set is continuing that as far as standard goes, because it makes my life so much easier. It's so much happier when I can just play games that I really care about. And there's interesting stuff going on and deck building changes on a week to week basis. Like you talked about, like, even though this particular standard format, I think it's like solved ish, right? Like there it's mostly at an end point where we know what the pieces are, what the best decks are. But as far as card choices go, those still change on a week to week basis. And oh, yeah. we saw someone with the mocks this past week, 
won by misplaced ginger, someone who has played the same deck through the entire format. He has only played Golgari and on a week to week basis modifies and changes his deck. And at the end of the season to be rewarded for that kind of slavish devotion to an archetype, it shows that there is room for flexibility in archetypes and room for greater and greater understanding. And that's really what you want for magic, like no skill cap, essentially. You can keep learning right. forever. And and I think this format very much proved to offer that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it is a little sad to just have it be kind of explained down to, oh, there's Golgari and there's is it, and that's about it. But realistically, like the, the Magic Online results are still pretty cool too, where there's a lot of different white decks still showing up. And it's very clear that that sort of like Boros puzzle has not really gotten solved, but it could just be that Boros is sort of the metagame deck. And depending right. on where everyone else is, then you just have to tune your Boros deck to beat that. Whereas Golgari and Izzet are just so set in their ways, kind of. I mean, I guess the Izzet deck that people that I think people should be playing now is like the eight Drake two Niv Mizzet one, which is a version that we hadn't really seen until the last couple of weeks of the format anyway. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think all of those decks are still evolving and your read on the Boros deck is spot on. That's the one that can adapt the hardest to what's going on in the rest of the format and offer the most like roadblocks. If it, we saw Takatli Guard be the right thing for a week, we saw Heroic Reinforcements be the right thing. It, it's just seemed, seemingly cycling around all these different options. And I, I would include Boros in that kind of top tier in the same place that you would put Izzet and Golgari. I think Boros deserves that title as well, even if it needs to pick its spots a little bit more carefully. Yeah, it's just Boros question mark. Like, right. <laughs> I, I don't know what it looks like, <laughs> right. but I'm sure you could build a good one. Yeah. So we also had things happen like a lot of team events in general. How do you feel about that? I hate team events. And I know that's an unpopular opinion. And I will say that I understand and respect why people enjoy team events. I'm not trying to ruin your fun. Uh, I'm glad you got kind of this rebirth of team events and everyone got to experience that. Uh, And I do think they should remain part of magic. I don't think they should go away. It felt like we kind of overdid it, though, in this past year. Uh, I don't like the logistics I like having flexibility in my travel planning and being able to say, well, okay, if something comes up, I still can potentially opt out of this. When you're committing to a team event, you're basically in the hard lock and you lose that kind of flexibility. And I also think the responsibility aspect of it, where I feel, you know, if I don't properly prepare for a tournament and then my results aren't what I would have liked, that's on me. And I deserve that. I can deal with that. I can accept that. But if I don't properly prepare for a team event, that's unfair. Uh, especially if my teammates are counting on me. And I've done like pinch hit fill in for a team. I played a, a team sealed event with Ross Merriam and Andrew Shrout a couple years ago. And basically I had like no knowledge of the format, but they were last second stuck. I was last second free and was like, look, I'll play. I don't feel like I can offer you all that much, but I'm, I'm willing to sit in. And my unfamiliarity with the format cost me multiple games and I felt horrible about it. And granted, I presented myself that way. I didn't try and sell a bill of goods, but still having my teammates be negatively affected by my performance, it's tough because I can live with me negatively affecting me. I don't like doing it to other people. So I'm happy to see these get toned down. Uh, I hope they remain part of Magic, but I mean, it felt like there was a team event every single weekend this past year. Yeah. 
I feel basically the exact same way as you. It's just, I know a lot of it is just on us, right? Where it's like, we feel this weight of responsibility that we don't normally feel in a a tournament that is individual. Mm -hmm. And I I guess that's on us, you know, like there, there are people who would team with people and like make mistakes and do badly and hold their team back and everything. And they would just not, not feel bad about it. And I just, I don't understand how that could be the case, you know? So it's, it's weird. It's like, I I don't want to be responsible for my friend's success, especially if they're like fighting for something like what, what if they need like two points to make platinum or whatever. And it's like, it comes down to me for whether or not they make 20 grand. Like, yeah, (laughs) that, that sucks. It sucks for me. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other people would be fine in that situation, but like, I feel that and I don't want to have to feel that. I don't want it to be on me. Let me ask you something. You growing up, you didn't play a lot of team sports. Is that accurate? Uh, I played baseball in fifth grade and I played a lot of sports growing up that, you know, just like we would play football during lunch before I started playing magic and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I I still always felt it. We're just like, oh, this, this person's so bad or like, oh man, like this person's so good. And like, I feel like I'm just holding them back and it's bad or it's like, I want to get better to be a contributing member to that person's team or whatever. It's like, I've, I've always felt that. Yeah. I ask because I, I didn't, I mean, and I played a lot of team sports. I played baseball. I played football. I generally grew up with team competition and only in magic do I have this kind of weird guilt following me around and impacting my enjoyment. I don't recall feeling it at all when it came to football so it's strange that it's developed in this context. And look, you could write it off as being like, oh, I want to be a perfectionist. But so do a lot of people who absolutely love team events. It's not like really, really great, dedicated magic players don't completely fawn over team events. It, it's not that clear cut. It's just something about our personalities for whatever reason that are driving us to feel that way. And it kind of sucks. I wish I could have like the unfiltered enjoyment. And you know, maybe at times where I've just completely taken the pressure off by maybe playing with a team that doesn't have any expectations at all. You know, I, I played a team GP with my brother once and he certainly didn't have high expectations going into the tournament and neither did I. And that was just kind of like fun and whatever. But at the same time, I spent that tournament thinking, well, what if I had gotten a better team together? Maybe I could have done more, you know, so there's, <laughs> there's no real answer. It's just like, there's yeah. always something to fight with. I know, man. It's it is rough. Maybe we should just not play in team events and just like let everyone else have their fun, have their enjoyment. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I I don't want to take away from anyone else's enjoyment. I'm glad people love team events, and I'm glad people got them back. It's a really nice thing to have part of Magic. Despite that, I'm glad that they're being scaled down in the coming year, and uh, I I hope that is the way forward. They they shouldn't be the backbone of competitive Magic, and it kind of felt like they were for a lot of this year. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, PT25A? So from a coverage standpoint, I think it was a big success. I, I mean, I, I think it offered a lot uh, as a viewer. I thought it was really interesting to see Legacy on that kind of stage. I think it didn't quite feel like the celebration I wanted it to be. It didn't feel like a noteworthy moment in Magic's history, really. It was just a really good Magic tournament that I appreciated. But at the same time, could I have felt the way if it was just like a split format tournament and 
you know, there was more time walk matches? The answer is probably yes. I mean, that was really a differentiating yeah. point was that there was more magic to see in different formats and no limited to, I don't even know if I want to say that on this cast because I'll get the people who accuse me of <laughs> hating limited, despite the fact that it's my favorite format and how I have played magic the most in my lifetime. But <laughs> regardless, uh, there was a lot of interesting things going on with PT25A that made it a really good viewership tournament. Uh, and I think a lot of that was kind of accidentally conflated with the fact that it was also a team tournament at the same time. The things I really like about the PT being a team tournament was there are some teams like PGO who are just best friends and you can tell and they've mm-hmm. been playing team events for forever. Like they feel like a team, right? Right. But like Greg Orange, Ben Ben Hall and uh, Alan Wu, like. I'm pretty sure they're just like dudes that came together because they didn't have a team, you know? Yeah. And it's like, what, what is the point of like a team tournament? If you're not actually a team, I don't have an answer for you. And that's also just, always been part of my problem as well. It's just three people who fate, whose fates are tied together for no discernible reason. And that is the vast majority of the field, by the way. That's that's not like a right. minority. I know you don't mean to single out the champions who obviously did a tremendous job in that tournament. It's it's just about that they fit that characteristic, but they're one of many, many, many teams who participate in that tournament that you call out for just being some guys who came together, guys and girls who came together and, and played this tournament. So yeah, that's part of the problem too. If there were, I mean, maybe there has to be like a critical mass of PGO-ish teams where you can start selling it is that kind of thing. Or you need to hard incentivize those kind of conglomerations. And it felt like the approach to team events was kind of towing the middle ground. It didn't go one way or the other. It was just like, here's some team events. I guess you should find a team. And that's as far as it went. Yeah, and they, they sort of did that with the team series, right? Where it's like, oh, they're trying to get these six people that work together, but they didn't even all always work together. Yeah, and oftentimes it was it was just a group of six people who got together because there was equity involved, and that was it. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, I appreciate the sentiment behind the ideas. I think they were they were forward thinking ideas. I think they were focused on the right kind of outcomes and the right kind of viewership experiences. They were trying to do the right thing. The implementation just isn't there. And it's complicated with a game like magic, as we've talked about, you know, at length there, there are complications to the presentation and there just is no incentive to be part of a team. In many cases, you're actively working against yourself when you're bettering your team. And that's fine. A lot of us embrace that. We like seeing the success of our teammates. But like you said, a vast majority of the magic playing population does not feel that way. They're participating in the team context to benefit themselves. And that is just inescapable in the structure of magic. Right. I mean, all that said, I don't want to knock it too much. I do think that team GPs, team opens, and maybe even a team pro tour should exist. You know, I, people people do enjoy it. And whatever the issues are, if at the end of the day, people are having fun, I'm not going to try and take that away from them, you know. But mm-hmm. I do think that there needs to be moderation. And I think that we could also just do a slightly better job to make them feel more like team tournaments. And I don't know. Everything well, could be done better. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the one of the problems that I'll talk about, and this actually goes back to the limited thing, which again, against my better judgment, I'm bringing up. But all of these kind of subsets of magic could be better served with unique focus. And by that, I mean if there was a tour focused solely on team events, if there was a limited only portion of the pro tour, and it 
didn't all feed the same kind of overall system, then I think some of these things would hit a lot harder. And various esports have more success with that. Like I know Hearthstone has the uh, you're, you're going to know the name better than I am, but it's like a global series where there's teams from each country. And they, uh, Hearthstone Global Games. They also have uh, Tespo, which is a college focused thing. Right. And this all feels like separate from the core experience of competitive Hearthstone, the actual right. like baseline competitive scene. And that's where these things are served really well. And if you want limited to be its own entity and to be focused on by people who love that style of magic, that's where it could get its best focus. And the same thing with the team series. If it was a solo team series with its own payoff and championship, then you can start making these kind of things happen. Uh, but just slotting it into the overarching magic OP, that's where I think a lot of these failures come from. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is weird to separate them, though, because it's like, okay, well, you have the Pro Tour or Mythic Championship or whatever, and then it's like, oh, these are just kids in college playing on a team, or this is just like the World Magic Cup or whatever. It doesn't necessarily feel like everything is like the pinnacle of competitive play, and but it maybe that's how to. it should be. Yeah, it doesn't have to. I mean, that's the same thing with Hearthstone, right? Like, those, those other series are certainly at a lower level. But they still matter. They still garner viewership. They still allow people who care about a certain aspect of the game to focus on that part of it. So I I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's okay to have varying levels of play, especially as we talk about the MPL. And there's all this concern about the haves and have nots kind of. There's, There's a lot of like, oh, the top 32 is taken care of, but what's going to happen for me? You know, maybe stuff like this is the answer. Who knows? Yeah, I'd be down with it. I mean, Arena is a good product. And if... They input a way to actually host a tournament without having to like re-challenge someone until you get the correct play draw or whatever. Right. And all the sideboarding stuff. It's like Twitch already took interest in having an arena tournament. It wouldn't surprise me if once some sponsors get involved, there are things that are a little bit more similar to the Hearthstone tournaments where it's just like, hey, here's an invitational. We're going to run this tournament with... X amount of money as prizes and to like just to get eyeballs on our sponsors and stuff like that could very well happen. And if that's the case, then yeah, teams or limited or legacy or whatever could be a part of these tournaments. I mean, not legacy on arena probably, but you know, right. what I, mean. I, I hope you're right. And that's what esports is like. That's the way esports has worked. Um, you know, I'm watching the Kespa Cup right now for League of Legends, which is like this weirdo self-contained Korean tournament. It feels like that's this is what esports has always been, kind of these one-off offerings and invitationals and things like that. So maybe that's where Magic's headed. It's it's hard to say, but it wouldn't surprise me if someone tries to step up and fill that kind of, uh, I don't know if void is core quite the right word, but maybe there is a void now. Maybe we don't know what happens beyond the top 32 and and this is what the future holds. Yeah. I, Star City really filled the void for a, a large gla- grassroots kind of tournament series type of thing. Paper. In, paper tournament though. I mean, we talked, yeah, we talked about that last week, right? So everything's different now when Arena's in the picture. Right. And that that void has basically been filled. If you want to go to a paper tournament, you can probably find one between like your LGS or SCGs or GPs or whatever, basically every weekend. Mm-hmm. But what do you have to do on arena or 
you know, in, in a team tournament or a limited tournament, it's like there, there really aren't a lot of options for those. It's like star city basically made it all about constructed. Right. And now, now they're kind of going, not going back on it, but like they're offering like team tournaments instead of like a lot of individual offerings and stuff. So they're, they're kind of trying to change it up and everything. But I think everyone wants every single format of magic to be part of like the pinnacle of competition. Like you hear clamorings for like popper grand prix and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know if that's right or not, but uh, maybe it is. There needs to be some sort of hole filled in, in that regard where it's like, yeah, take limited out of the pro tour, but have like limited championship. Like, would that be cool if like a set just drops and you have like the pre-release effectively with, you know, either the MPL or this other group of like 64 people and you crown like the draft champion or something like that sounds sweet. Yeah, I think that's an awesome idea. Uh, and hopefully we see that in the coming coming months and years. But yeah, who knows? Uh, we're kind of jumping around a bit. Uh, Arena's great. We've talked about that at length. Kind of what we we're talking about with what is going to happen to the haves and have nots uh we have no more nationals or world magic cup which i don't really understand because it got brought back because it was very popular and people liked it and now it's just getting killed again yeah i don't know either again hearthstone global games there's room now if we are believers in arena for maybe someone to step up and provide this kind of national experience country versus country type deal but the World Magic Cup was a unique tournament. I will say that I never tended to watch all that much of it. I don't know if that was a function of its place in kind of the calendar year. It often falls late in a format as it did this time. Uh, so that slows down my involvement somewhat. I guess a lot of it depends on how deep my friends are running and most of my friends come from the USA. So we, we haven't gone super deep as a country thus far in the world magic cup. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, that's on you, but uh, sorry. (laughs) So, so it hasn't been like must watch viewing for me. I've certainly missed my share of world magic cups and maybe I'm part of the problem why this tournament's going away. But as an idea, I really like the tournament. I, I like having this kind of arena for countries to, you know, show some national pride and compete against other nations. That was that was always a fun setup. Yeah, this seems like an odd one to hit the cutting block. What do you think? Yo, you want to talk about like team tournaments and stress and being responsible for <laughs> other people's fates? Try representing your country. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of taking being- it to the next level being told that like, Oh, like they're the clear favorites. Like maybe Japan is better, but like, yeah, USA is obviously going to win and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, my God, what a disappointment. I feel so (laughs) bad. I feel so to this day, I feel so bad. But one thing I will note is that like, I know that that Reed and Oliver felt it too, you know? And it's like, we have that shared experience. That's true. Right. Like we are always going to have that. I'm not super, close with either of them. I don't talk to them daily or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm testing with Oliver now and all that. And I, I make it a point to say hi to Reed every time I see him, but, but like, we're always going to have that, like that, that was a bonding experience for sure. Yeah. I will say that I think America has forgiven you at this point. So you can, you can probably take some of that stress off your shoulder, uh, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It matters what I think. I know that I disappointed, disappointed our country. I know that. 
I, I can't sign off. I really, I really can't accept that assessment of things. I know you played hard and the results just weren't there. And that's the way magic goes sometimes. But I, I would feel the same way in your position. So I, I won't try and talk you out of it. I know exactly what we did to lose every time. You could have fixed it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's tough to bear. Even when I have that for myself, I have a hard time burying it. So I can imagine when you're under the the weight of your country's flag. So for most magic tournaments, it's like, oh, I'll I'll just get them next time, right? There isn't a next time. Literally, no next Literally. time anymore. It's Literally, <laughs> it is over until they bring it back. But right. it's it's so it's so hard to qualify. Three people in the U.S. get to play, and I'm never going to be pro points leader. You think I'm ever going to beat like Owen Seth Reed? In, in pro points, no, it's just not going to happen. Those guys are machines. So it is. it was getting first or second in nationals. We binked it and never again. That was it. That was my one chance. I will not get them next time. We'll win the Magic Global Games. Don't worry about it. Dude, tag me in. I want, <laughs> I want a chance of redemption. I am working with Reed and Oliver and we're fixing it. Yeah, maybe we just have to create the Magic Global Games ourselves. They could be the game Magic Global Games, <laughs> just, <laughs> just so you have just your chance. For the very petty reason of me trying to feel better about it. But then even if we win, I'm just going to be like, oh, well, it wasn't the same. It was just the stupid thing we made up. It's right, like not even real. Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. Anyway. God. Now I got all the feels. Uh, we brought the whole cast down. I, I like emotion. I don't really care what it is. Just like any sort of swing. It just even like immense pain, right? It just lets me know that I'm alive. I'm still here. <laughs> the masochist approach to magic right now is as long as I'm losing as hard as possible. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> not not losing as hard as possible, but oh, if it's just as painful as possible, I like it because right, right. say I made like the world's tiniest mistake and it bit me seven turns later. I'm just like, oh, yeah. That is just poetic and beautiful, and I love it. And I'll just be walking around in constant pain for a week, but nice. I'll know that I'm alive. Right, right. Anyway, uh, Magic Fest are coming. Are you excited? <laughs> <laughs> the eternal pain of Magic Fest? Yeah, look, I, I really love GPs being added to Pro Tours. I think that's awesome. I think Pro Tour yes. competitors deserve to have more people in attendance. I hope the finals become something that there's a crowd of people sitting around and watching. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's in the cards, but like the small, like smattering of applause after someone wins a pro tour is ridiculous. It it feels so flat and uninspiring. And even when you try and like rush out their teammates, there's still something missing about that celebration. I, I hope that's the one thing that this change nails more than anything else is that there's people there to actually have a emotional moment, you know, talking about the emotion of magic. I I hope that's the change. Uh, As far as the name we talked about this last week, it's kind of whatever to me. It signals a change, a turning point, and that's big to me because things had to change, but still tons of unanswered questions. I don't want to dredge up everything we talked about last week. Go listen to either uh, our discussion with Cedric over on his cast, which I, I think we really went super deep on all this stuff and touching on it a little bit last week in our own cast as well. But basically, there's too many unanswered questions for me to give an opinion on Magic Fest, but I am pleased that some kind of change has started in this calendar year. So Vancouver is technically a Grand Prix. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And then Oakland the week after is a Magic Fest? Correct. 
how much change nothing. do you think? I okay. was just thinking about this. I, I don't think there will be anything, <laughs> anything that feels at all different. They're literally a week apart and they're probably going right. to be the same event and they're just going to be different in name. Yes, that is my take on it. And again, then I ask why. It makes sense when you think about the Pro Tours, right? Now you understand why it's called a Magic Fest because you want to brand the entire weekend and you know you want to signify that you have both a GP and a Pro Tour. That, so that's cool. No bones about that. But you're spot on. You're, you're going to both of these tournaments. So you will get to give us a report on what has changed from week to week. And I look forward to hearing that report because it's going to be nothing. I'm just going to land in Oakland, stroll into the event site, and I'm just going to look around and I'm just going to be sad. Well, <laughs> look, I don't know if it's worth being sad about. Again, I think like this is a ball rolling and rebranding for just like psychological impact can be important. I, I support initiatives where companies want to try and do that. You have negative associations with something as it was branded before. So now you're calling it something different. That's valid. That's not something I'm going to poo-poo all over. I, I think many companies have taken that approach successfully. So, But you have to deliver something new. And like I said, I think on a week to week, like from one week to the next, Vancouver to Oakland, nothing's going to change. And that means you probably should have delayed the rollout of Magic Fest until it felt, feels like something different, until you can start building this new kind of momentum. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you'll show up in Oakland and you'll be like, ooh, this feels different. There's all kinds of new stuff going on. You think you would have heard about some of that at this point and you would know what the changes are, but no one is offering any kind of fundamental difference between the two. So yeah, I, I don't think this is going to be the hit, but my hope is that they continue to evolve over time and eventually become their own unique entity, which is offering a better experience for players. I have been very pleased with CFB's ability to actually receive feedback. So that is one thing that I would stress for people. And I've, I've already talked to Mashi some about this and I'll likely do it again in the future, but yeah, if if y'all have any suggestions for things that you would like to see at GPs slash Magic Fests and stuff like that, by all means, give them an email or whatever. And it, especially if there's something that you think would move the needle from you not attending to attending. You know, I think that is probably what they are most interested in. Right, right. And rightfully so. I mean, these need to draw a bigger player base. If you're going to brand them as a magic fest, they need to have something new to offer. I mean, I don't know really what it could be. Honestly, they offer a bunch of formats. And I mean, the answer is like more artists and more cosplay and more like I remember a few, maybe it was a, it was either two years ago or last year, they did like an art exhibit at GP Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, more stuff like that, you know, artifacts from Magic's history and, you know, weird oddities that they set up and just a celebration of all things magic. An actual magic fest is what needs to happen, not just another tournament that we've been playing for the last, for me, like 15 or 16 years now. There, there has to be something different. I'm pretty sure the art exhibit was all Vorthos Mike. I believe you're correct because we had him on First Strike and he talked a lot about his efforts okay. to organize. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. He and I are both from Minnesota, so we've known each other for a while. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, 
look again that's an outside entity doing something to yeah. serve that's that has to be brought internal like if you're billing yourself as a magic fest tell me why you're a magic fest what have you changed that's moving this towards a celebration of the game and and then we can start talking about whether I'll accept your try at rebranding. Cause I, I mean, I'm not doing this to be stubborn, but until there's something different about it, my brain isn't going to make the click from magic fest to GP. It, it, it just isn't going to register with me when I've called something a GP for however many years now, something has to turn before I accept that rebranding. That's legit. One thing I did tell Mashi was that just take a look at the, the Japanese Grand Prix. They do a bunch of rad stuff every time. Well, maybe not every time, but almost every time, right? And the last one that I went to, I got to play real life Momir Vig. And there cool. was like a crowd of people watching and we just like pulled people from the audience and there was a person like dealing out the Momir cards and like slow rolling them on camera and everything. And like they're all in Japanese. So I knew like maybe 70% of them or whatever. So it's like the crowd goes nuts and I'm just like, what card is that? <laughs> you know? uh, that's like, really cool. That's, it was that's a good use awesome of your personalities experience. too. Yes. It was so awesome. And obviously it takes some amount of effort, right? But it is cool. It is a thing that I will remember. And I'm not supposed to be the person who cares about that stuff, you know? Right. right. So how do you think other people would feel, especially if they got to play it, right? They were the person sure. chosen, yep. you know, doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot. So we got, we got a couple more things. We could talk about UMA and like the death of master sets. We do have Vancouver this weekend, but we're already over an hour. So we find just skipping that UMA's kind of tight, but. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give a quick endorsement for UMA. It's been a, a really fun format. I'm looking forward to playing it this weekend in Vancouver. And that's all I really have to say about it. I mean, they're gone now. I am assuming there'll be more aggressive modern reprints in standard products going forward. They're not going to let modern get out of control price-wise. There's going to be some method of keeping things under control. So I don't know. The master sets have mostly been a miss for me. It's funny that this last one I think is actually very good from you know just the desire to play the limited environment. It, it, it's definitely a home run for me. I haven't felt that way about the last four or five before that. So weird note to go out on, but we'll have to see what they do in the future to get these modern cards in people's hands. Yeah, I I like how it's like, hey, that's cool. Let's not do those anymore. (laughs) Like, I get it. And it is it is supposed to be ultimate masters, right? It is supposed to be like the best one. And they just used up all the coolness on the last thing. And and respect. I respect that. But it's like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I have a tinfoil hat on in this one. Whoever is like doing the thing where this was supposed to be Graveyard Masters and it was a last second decision to can- cancel the Masters series, I believe it. I don't know why I, I, I just buy that. It kind of makes sense as a narrative. This is very clearly focused on the Graveyard. There's the symbol itself. There's like the text on the side of the box that people point to for their belief that this was supposed to be Graveyard Masters. And the conspiracy theorists have sold me on this one, which is so funny because, man, do Damn. I hate conspiracy theories. But uh, I, I buy this one. This was supposed to be Graveyard Masters. Okay. Interesting. All right. Last last one. And this is going to be a fun one. You want to talk about Worlds? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Do we, do we want to talk about Worlds? I guess I we already know. didn't get our preview card, so we can at least touch on it. Oh yeah, whatever. I'm not worried about that. So, I'm going to I'm going to tell you my perspective on things. Okay. So, 
this is me kind of living in my bubble and I see some of the chatter that goes on in public, you know, like on Reddit or Twitter or whatever, but it's like, I don't know how people talked about this in private or to each other or whatever. Like basically, you know, think about it. Like I am only privy to the stuff that people told me about. Right. Mm -hmm. And literally everything else that exists in the world, I do not know about. So I am basically in the dark on this. I have not really a good idea. Like, I mean, I, I kind of get like how it was perceived and everything, but it's like, I don't understand. I don't know the things that people are saying to each other in private. Right. And like, that's right. kind of my question, I guess it's like now, now I'm officially curious. Like, is there stuff out there that has been said or is being said that I am not aware of? Cause it's like, I, I did my thing. Maybe it had an effect. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. So, I mean, are you trying to get the pulse of the pro magic community, the community at large, like either because I, yeah. So I think there are multiple, multiple perceptions of what you did and, you know, as there always will be when things get debated on the internet, there's always going to be people taking multiple sides. I think on the whole, it was an act that was appreciated. Uh, I think like you, I think people have differing ideas of how effective it was. I think people have varying levels of criticism with how it was delivered. You're never going to get your answer. Like you're looking for like a way to tie this up in a bow. Like, did you do no. the right thing? No. Okay. So I, I do not regret protesting worlds at all. I do regret some of the specifics. I do regret hurt feelings on some ends of people who are involved in magic who I did not intend to hurt for sure. Okay. That was never my intention. Right. But other than that specific stuff, like my message for the most part, I a hundred percent stand behind. I think it could have been a little bit better crafted and everything, but hundred percent would do again. Not upset. I, I mean, I think that's where you, that's where your bow needs to come from. You have done this. It, it's over. Uh, perception doesn't really matter at this point. My own opinion mirrors yours in many ways. Um, I, I think there were a few points that could have been handled a little bit better. I, I think you know exactly what they are. I, I think there was ways to present the message without maybe causing some of the hurt feelings that were out there. And I, I think you know that. But on the whole, I, I think you were instrumental. We're talking about this year as kind of this leap year, this change year, this catalyst year. I believe you were instrumental in that. And I think that it takes someone standing up and saying, this isn't okay. Things can't proceed like this to really get the ball rolling. And that's not me giving you credit. Like I don't think you created, your actions created the MPL. It's just that degrees of action can change. I'm sure that things were being addressed internally and, you know, there were plans to evolve magic and certainly, you know, arena has existed for a long time and they would be crazy not to have some kind of OP around that. I, I don't think you made all of that happen, but I think you brought some of the focus back to the players, whereas the players were just being consistently perceived as a commodity. I think you serve to highlight just how much they do for the game, how much the players grow the game and how important they are to the entire ecosystem and to the people who, you know, follow magic and care about magic. And without your efforts, I think that may have gotten a little bit more glossed over in the construction of this new system. So regardless of 
you know, you're, you're not going to get a shakedown of the entire public's perception, but that's my perception. And I, I hope that's worth something to you. I, I think it was a very positive thing. And I am excited for the future of magic for the first time in a long time. It's just been kind of doom and gloom for a long time and things feel like they've consistently gotten worse and prizes have gotten smaller and just nothing has happened for so long. And again, not saying that you're the cause of it, but I think the direction that we are headed, you deserve some recognition for your efforts to push things in that direction. Even if you didn't have any effect on things, it's like, what's the cost of me as a magic player saying, thank you for trying? Like, even if you had no impact, it's so easy for me to just be appreciative and to see that the actions you took were in the interest of the game and interest of everyone around you. So that's that's where I'm going to fall on it. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I think a lot of people share my perception and I, I know a lot of our listeners do and have expressed those things to me when you're not around. So Word. Uh, hopefully you can take something f- from that. No, that's cool. I, I appreciate it. I do think that 2018 was weird, especially for me. And a large part of it was because of that. Yeah, just I don't know. Look, looking back, it is just going to be this year where like a bunch of stuff happened when that doesn't normally always occur and it it does seem like when it rains it pours you know Mm -hmm. so in that's in that sense it's kind of strange and going forward it seems like things are not going to be the same as what i was used to i mean i i still am going to do content for scg still going to do this podcast and still going to be playing magic in some capacity but now it's like mpl slash PT slash mythic champion stuff, not really GPs and then doing commentary for SCG. Like what the hell happened? Yeah. Things have changed very rapidly for us and our content creation. It's kind of a whirlwind. Like you said, I mean, if you had to rate your optimism for 2019, where are you at? Are you excited for this new year? Does it feel like you're on the cusp of some really great opportunities? Are you a little sad that your past has kind of been, disrupted and and shaken up a little bit and you're not going to proceed kind of in the same fashion that you've proceeded over the last you know two or three years now since you left wizards uh, obviously your life is going to look a little different uh, what's your personal feeling on that so on one hand i want to say that i am very comfortable with the familiar like i am mm-hmm. very much a person of routine i don't really try new things all that often but it's weird because a lot of the time Like I basically moved to a different state like every year of my life in my 20s, you know, Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, I was just comfortable doing that. Like after I did it the first couple of times, like the act of like moving to a new place feels familiar. So I don't know. I, I think that this has changed that I can get used to. I think that the ways that I engage with magic have basically always been changing. And, you know, like I started a podcast three years ago or whatever. And that was completely new to me, but I somehow managed to keep doing it and everything and just became part of the new normal, you know? So I think I'll adapt to that pretty well, but right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about that. I do think that I have a lot of good opportunities and just like this year in general was a, a lot of weirdness that leads into this and kind of like the culmination of a lot of stuff. Like part of it was just like me being frustrated and uh, not, feeling like uh, we were being communicated to or with very well by wizards, which was the, you know, like the world's protest was the result of that or whatever. And I have no idea exactly what me doing that did, if not for just 
get people talking or whatever, but I don't know, maybe, maybe that's good enough. And I'm certainly happy that people are thankful that someone tried and hopefully that can inspire other people to also try doing something, whatever that may be, just like whatever you feel is right. And I don't know, I'm not, I I don't want to take credit for anything because I have no idea, but it certainly seems like at the very least convenient timing. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, (laughs) I I will definitely say that. For me, going forward to 2019, like I said, this is a time when I feel a tremendous amount of optimism. For those of you who feel a little displaced and lost right now, I get that. There's a lot of classes of players who don't have the information they're looking for right now. They don't know how to approach GPs. They don't know uh, what their path to the Pro Tour looks like. And it's been something that's been a part of their life for a long time. And now it feels kind of absent. And that's scary. And I sincerely hope that that gets sorted out for you and you get your answers in the coming year. For me, someone who has comfortably kind of stepped away from the grind and trying to, you know, carve out whatever pro players club level I could, uh, this is all upside. And I'm excited for the way the game's going to be presented in the future. I'm excited for these 32 players who get a shot at, you know, making something really special out of a magic career. I'm excited for the way coverage is going to present those players. I'm excited for Arena and seeing what their pro scene looks like. I'm excited for all the outside interest we're garnering from not only players of different games, but, you know, esports producers and, you know, Twitch and all these entities of the esports world, which have been such a huge part of my non-magic life. To see them all start to flow into my magic life is exciting. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for me personally, and for other players of the game in these coming years with this kind of growth of uh, Magic's focus on esports. And I think 2019 is the first full year where this is very much going to be in Watsi's sights as the way forward. And I'm really excited to see what they can come up with. I am too. I mean, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess. Things are going to be new and different. And I can't really foresee a lot of it being in a bad way. And I don't know if, if I were someone working at wizards right now, like I, I would just hope that they're pumped, you know, that they yeah. get a shot to create something that could potentially be very, very badass. Right. And look, they already have success in this year. If we talk about play design, like it's hard yeah. again, much like your protest, it's hard to assign success ratios like you don't know how much has to do with how what entities over at wizards like maybe this was just spectacular design but again michael majors fixed it all right right fortuitous timing again right like (laughs) oh it just happened to work out this way uh i am very confident our friends over in the play design and you know the other restructured aspects of creating magic have had a tremendous impact in these recent times and i i can't wait to see what they have for us next well shit man (laughs) what a weird year do you think we're gonna be like on rocking chairs you know like looking back at 2018 yeah the magic retirement home it it feels like a big year and i can't believe you just gave out my magic retirement home idea over the air that's so messed up because i am going to create that and we're all going to be sitting there drafting at 70 and you know bickering dude you're gonna retire at 70 must be nice uh, (laughs) Well, uh, I have a very successful wife, so <laughs> I might get oh, to retire. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's a very useful thing to have. But yeah, that's that's been my dream for a long time, that all of us 
jaded magic personalities get to stick ourselves in some old folks home and just draft our twilight days away. That'll be a nice change. All right. Well, I'll start stockpiling products and I'll try and pick up a piece of cheap property in the Seattle area. Love it. I love it. I don't think cheap property exists, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We're going to, we'll probably have to go like an hour or two outside Seattle, but this yeah, is a yeah, fine place fine. to uh, a fine place to make our home. I like it up here. So good choice. Nice. All right. So question comes from my good friend, Rhino coin, who I sort of met on magic online. This is a, this is a pretty good story where I, something happened. I don't remember what, but he started just yelling at me in the, the moto chat. <laughs> okay. And then I posted a picture of it on Twitter and it turns out it was his friend on his account. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a little suspicious, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. No, no, I, I got, I got uh confirmation from multiple sources that it was oh, okay. not actually him. And okay. I've met him in real life and he, he seems like a sweetheart. Right. Okay. So it's just, it's funny because he was just like, Hey, that wasn't me. I know, I know how it sounds. Like, I'm so sorry. I apologize for my friend, blah, 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 blah. And initially I was like, you know, I was like, yo, this is, this is sketchy, man. Like, I, I don't believe you. You could just own up to it. Right. And I would, I would respect you a lot more, but it, it wasn't actually him. Okay. So that's how I met this person. And I, I rather enjoy that story. So I thought I would share it, but yeah, that's a good Rhino one. coin. Rhino coin asks, how do you go about setting magic goals for the new year? Do you think it's good to shoot for the stars or be more realistic with goals you're likely to achieve? And maybe you've talked about this on head games. I think so. I think we've touched on something like this. I can't remember the exact episode or I'd I'd throw a plug, but I I do feel like I've discussed this before, but I want to hear your take on it. I was told by BDM that I'm an optimist. A lot of how I operate didn't seem like it really meshed with that, but he basically saw how I was like very hard on myself, very hard on my friends and the people I cared about, like the people I expected better of and everything. And it was because I knew that they were capable of so much better myself included. Uh So to that end, I am an optimist for how things are going to proceed in like my day to day life or anything. I think I'm cautiously optimistic. Like I know that sky is the limit and it's just a matter of how much effort I put forth. And I know that a lot of things are well within my control. You know, if I don't know if things are going poorly for me, I feel like I, I can find a way to fix it. So I I don't necessarily like expect like, woe is me, bad things are going to happen or whatever. Uh, So I, I could say like, Oh yeah, I want to be, ranked number one in the MPL or just absolutely crush our SCG gig or, you know, get 50,000 downloads on a game podcast episode or something. But it's like, I think it would be way cooler if I don't expect those things and then they happen while also being cognizant that I need to work on those things happening. Right. Because like, I I basically don't want to be disappointed because I'm pretty sure I could make those things happen if I actually put like my heart and soul into it. But maybe I don't want to commit that much and actually work that hard. So that's, that's kind of like my defense mechanism towards disappointment. So I don't know, man, it's just when, when something nice happens, it, it always just feels so good when it's unexpected that I, I just want to not artificially create that, but try and create as many opportunities for that as possible. Let me ask you a question. Can you think of something in your life that you set as a goal and you were like 
not like a passing goal, like, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds by next week or something like that, like something more focused. Like I want to achieve this in my life. Can you think of yeah. something like that you've set and failed to reach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. So the the psychology aspect of this is great, I think. And Jonathan, it would be great to have him here. But I think that my childhood was like such a constant string of disappointments. And I routinely got my hopes up because I would be like, told something or promised something. And then these people who were like my loved ones, my family, which ultimately let me down. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very rare that something actually got followed through on. And I don't know. I, I think the defense mechanism to that was to just stop expecting things. Right. And I think, I honestly think I went from like my late teenage years up until like 2013 or so with that mindset without ever setting a single goal. And it was just like, if the, if there's something that I like, like magic, for example, I, I will generally just, you know, put everything into it. I can't do anything casually. It just doesn't work. So would you say your goal setting is like evolving over, like, are you setting further and further goals for yourself as you kind of grow out of that mindset? No. So I'm, I'm not, I don't think I've grown out of it. So what okay. happened was in 2013, I top eight my first pro tour. Right. Right. And it's like, oh, cool. And that puts me at 40 some pro points. I need 52 for platinum. There's like all these events left over. I book a couple tickets to Europe to go to these Grand Prix and uh, I end up not hitting platinum. And that was very disappointing because it was like the first time I actually cared about something and like actively tried to do it. You right. know, and it's like I, I put it in print so that. I would be held accountable and everything because I thought that that would motivate me to actually get it done. Right. So I ended up falling short and that's when wizards contacted me and they're like, Hey, do you want to, you know, come do this internship thing? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Because I'm just completely off magic right now. (laughs) So they, they kind of snuck in there at a low moment for me, which is smart on their end for sure. And if I was just like, all right, I top eight APT. That's really nice. I didn't expect that to happen. I can be happy with this or I could like, you know, keep going and try and get platinum and all this stuff. It's like, realistically, I top eight APT and I was gold again. And I had that $10,000 from the pro tour where I spent half of it trying to get platinum and failing. So I just incinerated a bunch of the money that I won. Mm. So it was just like a bunch of disappointment that just didn't need to be there. Interesting. I mean, uh, honestly, I think we could probably do a full episode on this kind yeah. of topic because it, it is really I fascinating. I don't do that stuff anymore. The goal. Now it's stuff. like, yeah, now it's like, what do I want to do content wise? I, I want to make good content in this way, in this way, in this way. And okay, here are some mistakes that I'm making or things that I could have done better. And I just want to constantly improve little by little because then eventually good things will happen, which is kind of where my overall mindset with magic comes from. And I do think it's true. It's not just like a defense mechanism to protect me from being disappointed or whatever. It's like I'm generally happier on a day-to-day thing. I think I have accomplished a lot without setting goals. So I think that that's a viable way for me to go about things. But it's mostly just because like I I have like an insatiable drive to learn and get better. And if you don't have that, maybe you do need to be setting goals. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's going to be different when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, I guess I want to share my own approach real quick. So 
I, I've talked a bunch about how impressed I was with Javier Dominguez's approach of, I just want to keep yeah. improving and not set a specific goal. And in general, my goal setting looks more like that. It's these broad kind of ethereal things that don't have hard accomplishments tied to them. So I may set a goal of, I want to be a much better magic player come next year. I'm not going to tie. I want two GP top eights and a pro tour top eight to the, because tying those kind of like hard definitions of what success means is very, very, I think it's detrimental to my development. It leaves me overly focused on the result and not the steps to achieve that result. And like you said, it can create tremendous disappointment. So the vast, vast majority of the time, my goal setting looks much more broad like that. Unless there is something that for some reason I am convinced is like this marker in my life. And it's not that the thing itself is going to completely solve my problems or be the turning point. It's it's that I can use that marker as a justification for all the decision-making that led me to that point. Does that make any sense? The, the way I basically have used this in the past was like when I went to law school. And I said to myself, look, if you're going to do this, basically I was going to drop out if I wasn't in the top 10% of my class. Uh, there was no way I was staying in school past the first year if I didn't do sure. particularly well. So that was my goal. I said, I, I will finish in the top 10% of my class or I cannot continue this path. And I was able to do exceed that goal by every single metric. So doing things like that, where they're more of a tentpole along the way that I can check in with and say, is this the right decision for me? I think that's useful, but you have to be really careful with where you set those tentpoles. Mine had a specific point where there were certain benefits that came with being in the top 10% of my class. And honestly, in, in the magic context, you could look at this the same way if you're making a financial-based decision. Like, am I going to continue to be investing this type of money in my travel for magic? Well, I can't really justify it unless I hit gold. So my goal is to hit gold, and then I can justify doing this again for another year. And I think that's fine, because you have to have some kind of limit on your participation if it's not actually benefiting your path in life, your, your happiness. You know, If you're not happy just scraping along at silver and playing occasional pro tours and spending all your money traveling to GPs, you need to check in with yourself and realize that. And having a hard goal, like I need to hit gold or I have to stop. I think there's usefulness in things like that, but just arbitrary numbers that don't really accomplish anything. I, I think that can be damaging. And I think if you use them way too often, it's problematic. There's a time and a place for those hard line distinctions. You just have to be selective with where they are. And I think they're important for driving the overall shape of your life. That's where I, I really like to use them. Yeah. One, one thing I'll add to that is I think it is important to, you know, kind of, kind of have some sort of like checkpoint or tentpole or whatever, kind of what you're talking about that drives you where like, if my plan in five years was to be doing something completely different, like, you know, say I wanted to go to college and get a business degree or whatever, like clearly what I'm doing now doesn't fit in with that. Right. Mm-hmm. And like I'm, I'm working a hundred hours a week or something, you know, doing gaming stuff. So if my end goal was to get a job doing something else, I would have to alter what I'm doing now. Whereas if my goal in five years is to still be doing 
the same sort of stuff, what does that look like? And then every decision that I will I will make will be towards making that future an actual reality, if that is what I think that I want. And like you said, you got to check in with yourself. You got to make sure that you're still on the same path and that's the path that you want to be on because right. things can change rapidly, yep. you know? Oh, absolutely. So for me, it's like, you know, where where do I want to be living? Like I, I would like to own a house at some point, you know, like if I buy a house, where where should it be? Because that is probably where I'm going to be spending a lot of time. Ideally, it has to be like, next to a good airport because I fly a lot. Right. So like there are all these things where it's like, I can't just like go buy a house in Alaska or whatever, because that's not conducive to my future. So yeah, just everything that I'm doing is pointing towards where I want to be. So I sort of have goals in that way. It's just that like, I am content with the way things are, how they're going. And I know that they're moving in a positive direction. So what, what is there to, to be upset about? You know, it's like, I know that, I am doing a lot of things within my power to get to where I want to be and to improve things, even if, you know, right now things are great. Right. And um, I think that's but, a healthy mindset to have for sure. Yeah. So I, I think that's it. It's just like you, you got to figure out what you actually want to be doing and then start moving towards it because I don't know, man, I, especially in the magic community, there are just far too many people who are content to sort of like sit in the same place and do the same thing, even though it is not leading to a better future for them. And Mm -hmm. it's very clear that they need to make some sort of change. And basically any sort of change is, is good in those sorts of situations. So, right. Yeah. And you know, that's a lot of reasons we see for a lack of change is fear of failure. But if you don't have hard goals in front of you, if you're just like, well, I'm going to make positive changes and that's my goal for 2019. Okay, you get to define that. And if you keep that goal in your mind and you're taking steps towards that, you get to succeed at it and potentially make really meaningful adaptations in your life. I don't know. It just seems like having successes is worth a lot more than having to deal with constant setbacks. And, you know, I've seen so much sadness with people who miss hard goals that I've kind of talked myself off of them and use them sparingly and selectively for when they are actually going to be appropriate motivators and uh, appropriate ten posts. And hopefully you can do some of that in your 2019 when you're setting your goals. So when you're what, 10 and one, 11, one at a PT, 10 and one, uh, 10 and one. Yep. I think it's safe to say that you're good enough to top eight a pro tour. Yeah. I, I mean, that's generally how I operate. I've always said that I, I think, my, I could be like a gold pro. That's where I generally see myself sit. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, it's like, unless you really need to actually hit gold pro to, you know, survive financially or get a writing gig or whatever, why, why do you actually like need the title? You know, that's where I fall. You're, I mean, you're exactly right. Yep. No. And it's like that, that's how I feel. It's like, what do you have to prove and who are you trying to prove it to? Yeah, that's a, that's another great question to ask yourself on a regular basis. Ask yourself why you are trying to achieve these things. And for me, a, a lot of my like early desire to succeed in magic was based on getting the opportunity to do things like this. And somehow I am getting the opportunity to do this cast every week and I'm getting to produce content for SCG and I'm getting to go do play-by-play in this coming year and all these things feel like a dream come true. And I 
feel like I skip some of the steps that are usually involved in doing these things. But I think despite maybe not doing things the way a lot of my contemporaries do, I still found a way to accomplish my goals. And you know that speaks a lot in favor of just not seeking that kind of validation and believing in yourself and doing what you want to do to improve and, and grow as a person. You get a lot of freedom that way. And I definitely endorse that approach 100%. Yeah, I I don't know where the term try hard came from, but that's that's kind of what it makes me feel like where it's like if someone very clearly wants to like do commentary and they're just like, yo, let me do commentary, let me do commentary. It's like, well, no, probably not because you're probably not good enough. Like you want the reward without doing any of the work. That's that's what a lot of that comes from, mm. you know, and I don't know, man, you are just smart and articulate and a good person and you know your stuff. And at at no point were you just like demanding things that you don't really deserve. Right. So it's just like, I don't know. I I think the way you went about things is, is great. And it is one of the reasons why I wanted you to be on the cast is because you don't have that mindset. You don't have that attitude. You're just like, yeah, I just, I do my thing and then whatever, like (laughs) who cares? Well, I, I appreciate that endorsement very much. And, uh, it, it makes my life a lot easier (laughs) and I wasn't always approaching things this way. And I highly recommend it to people. When you let go a lot of those outside pressures, your life gets much simpler, much happier. And, you know, I, I share my experiences, not because like, I think I'm right, or I want you to do things the way I did it because this is the best way to do it. i I just have found a good place for myself and I want to share that with as many people as possible. And I hope as many people as possible get to the same good place and the same place of happiness with what whatever they're trying to achieve. Yeah, man. I look at all the moto deck lists, not because I think that everyone is doing things right, but because I get to take in the information and then parse it myself. Right. Right. Good. At, but good I do I do want more information. I want to see how people are doing things. And yeah, I don't I don't think how we handle things is necessarily best for everyone, but you know, now people have a different perspective and can potentially learn from that. So dope. Sure enough. I think Rhino coin might've put forth the longest uh, question and answer segment of our show in the history of the game podcast. That felt like a really long one. I was only like 25 minutes or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means it's an excellent question. So props to you, Rhino coin. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it all started by some person yelling at me on magic online. As all good things do. Oh, yeah. That's that's how I met you, actually. Right, right. Just bashing you over <laughs> All right, man. Sign us out. Sign us out on 2018. We're done. That's game. Good luck.